Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you are listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. Today's conversation, I want to direct to one of America's newest blesseds, and also one with the newest shrine that was just dedicated a few weeks ago in Oklahoma. I want to talk today about Blessed Stanley Rother, who was a martyr in Guatemala and whose devotion has been spreading all throughout Oklahoma, especially because he was a priest of the Archdiocese of Oklahoma City sent on mission to Guatemala. So uh, there's a friend of mine, a monk of St. Meinrad, who took the name Stanley Rother in religion. So as a monk, they change their names, they take on a new identity, and he chose Blessed Stanley Rother to be his patron, and I'm very excited today to be speaking with him, first about his monastic vocation, but then also to talk about the life of Blessed Stanley and why it's significant, why the shrine is important. And so thank you so much, uh, Brother Stanley Rother, for joining me today. Thank you, Father Edward. It's a pleasure to be with you. Now, we go back a little ways. We have some mutual friends who are priests in the Diocese of Springfield, Illinois. That's because you were studying for the priesthood for the Diocese of Springfield. You were at Mundelein Seminary. I also was at Mundelein Seminary. Uh, I believe you also study at the Liturgical Institute, so you have a great love for the liturgy. And uh, also what I know about you is you're doing further studies, I believe, in history and that you're a voracious reader because I see the stuff you post on Goodreads, the books you've read. I'm like, wow, this man reads a lot. So I'm sure you're a wealth of knowledge. And uh, yeah, it's great to reconnect, especially over Blessed Stanley Rother. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, and, you know, what a what a wonderful example of, uh, you know, dedication to the people of God, uh, you know, someone who, uh, as Archbishop Coakley said at the dedication, someone uh, who truly had the smell of the sheep on him. Uh, and he's he's very much um, not not merely my my holy patron, but also very much I consider a, a friend. That's great. And you were studying for the diocesan priesthood at one time, but then you left the seminary, you decided that maybe God was calling you elsewhere, and you discerned a monastic vocation as a Benedictine. So what led you uh, to uh, discern and ultimately join an abbey of Benedictine monks and uh, to become a, a monk? Well, the, the short answer is God. God is the one who led me to the monastery, um, uh, for which I'm very grateful for, for that gift. I would say, uh, you know, in a, if, if I can uh, be humble here for a minute, uh, transparent, um, uh, I, I don't do well uh, on my own. So I need a very structured environment. Uh, but I, uh, you know, I really felt like diocesan seminary could do that for me. And it certainly did. Uh, but it was a bit too structured. There wasn't a lot of uh, free time. There wasn't a lot of time to study, uh, at least from my perspective. There, there wasn't. 
Um, I know, you know, a lot of my classmates who, who made it work, uh, but it couldn't work for me. Uh, and, and that's not the fault of Mundelein or, or any other diocesan seminary. Allow me just to say that. Um, but uh, so I was, uh, you mentioned that I was a student at the Liturgical Institute. Yes, very much so. Uh, but I was an, uh, an LI student before I entered the seminary. And the former director of the LI, uh, Father Douglas Martis, now Father Eusebius Martis, OSB, uh, who recently made solemn profession uh, at Marmion Abbey outside of Chicago, um, he very much ran the liturgical institute like a Benedictine monastery in the sense that uh, morning prayer and mass and evening prayer were the anchors of our days uh, and then we had class in the morning, and then we had the afternoon to study and write, and, uh, you know, the night was given over for leisure. Uh, so that was the kind of life I wanted. I thought I would get that moving to the other side of campus uh, at Mundelein, um, and uh, I, I really didn't. Uh, again, that's not Mundelein's fault, um, uh, so, uh, so I just turned out, so I was at, uh, Mundelein for a total of four years, two years at the Ally and two years in the seminary. Uh, and then I took, uh, two years in between discerning out of Mundelein and entering St. Meinrad. Uh, so, uh, living on my own in the world for those two years, it was the same thing. Like I, I really needed some sort of structure, some external accountability. Uh, and I had that with some of my friends, but you know, there was also uh, a lack of community that I, uh, that I very much desired, that I very much needed in my life. Uh, and when I discerned out of Mundelein, I was certainly open uh, to you know, keep on discerning diocesan priesthood uh, and also uh, religious life, but not, I wasn't really considering that seriously. But it was my former vocation director, Father Chris House of the Diocese of Springfield, who said something like, you know, you should really think about becoming a monk, a Benedictine monk, and you should uh, take a vocation visit to St. Minorad. And I said, that is literally the dumbest idea I have ever heard why would I, why would i be a monk like i hate being told what to do which is very much true but uh on my first visit in december 2014 uh to saint minard for a for a vocation visit i fell in love with the place and i looked at some other monasteries but there were uh they just they just weren't hitting the right notes for me uh, so I kept on discerning with St. Meinrad throughout that two-year uh, transitional period, and uh, an opportunity presented itself in April of 2016 for me to uh, begin my application, um, and I entered St. Meinrad in October of 2016. 
And so there are lots of different Benedictine monasteries. So St. Meinrad was the one that you were drawn to, the one you visited. Now, I seem to recall in your discernment journey, and especially the Benedictines, first of all, have a great love for the liturgy. They are some of the great thinkers about liturgy uh, that, that have written texts and so forth. So it seems, as a guy who was involved with the Liturgical Institute, that maybe the Benedictines make sense for you. But I know that I think you went to Collegeville, and there was this member of um, the liturgical movement, Virgil Michael, who was a monk there, if, if I'm not mistaken. And somehow did he play a role in your discernment and, and maybe seeking his intercession? Or am I remembering this all kind of vaguely wrong? Uh, no, no, you are absolutely right. Uh, so um, I... Uh, I've only been to Collegeville once, and that was just on a pilgrimage, actually, to pray at the grave of John Virgil Michael, OSB. Uh, may he rest in peace. Um, so, but what I what I really loved about Virgil Michael, uh, who was uh, born in 1890, he died in 1938. Um, he was very much an intellectual. Uh, and an academic. He had multiple doctorates um, in philosophy and education. Uh, but the the one thing that I just absolutely loved about his writing was how he connected the liturgical action uh, at Mass and the Divine Office with social action uh, and economic justice in the world. And you know, talking about how our active and actual participation in the liturgy enables God's grace to um, enter us and transform us into little Christs so that we can go out into the world um, and, you know, bring the gospel. Uh, uh, and we can preach that through our actions and our words. Um, and that will bring about a renewal of society. Uh, so I, uh, yes, I very much, uh, fell in love with the Benedictine charism because of Virgil Michael. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's not, um, not just the, the liturgy aspect, but also, you know, what monks in the cloister can do, uh, to, you know, uh, by God's grace, help the world. I've had a lot of different monks actually on the podcast. So uh, I've had a few from Conception Abbey because I went to school there and an alum of uh, Conception Seminary College. So I had Brother Maximilian and Father Pacomius. And then uh, recently I had the abbot of Clear Creek Monastery. He was talking about his, uh, his community's newest album of Advent chant that they recorded. And uh, so we talked a lot about Advent in that episode. But one of the things that usually comes out when I speak with a monk is they talk about how they chose their name. And so in monasticism, so you joined St. Minerit Abbey. So you were uh, a postulant and then a novice, and then you made temporary vows. And uh, I think usually at novitiate, you take a new name and Three names are submitted to the abbot, and the abbot can choose what your new name in religion is going to be, and you give rationale and such. And so you submitted, I'm assuming, Stanley Rother. 
So why did you include him on your list of names for possible naming in the monastic life? So that's a great question. Um, so just a clarification, uh, some monasteries do give their, uh, give monks new names when they enter the novitiate. Here at St. Meinrad, uh, we get our new names when we make our uh, first vows or our temporary vows. So that's after uh, postulancy. We call it candidacy here, but it's the same thing. So, uh, so I did three months of candidacy, a year of novitiate, and then I got my new name. The reason I chose Stanley Rother uh, was actually kind of uh, a dark horse candidate of a name. Uh, so I obviously this this needs some explanation. Um, I I am a historian. I'm an archivist, uh, and so one of my hobbies, I think, quite naturally, is uh, genealogy. And really, because I'm the only one who has the skill or the interest, uh, I'm pretty much my family's historian and keeper of the family tree. Um, so I'm, I'm half German and half Polish, more or less. And um, I, I really wanted to pick a name that would honor both the German and Polish sides of my family. And if you know anything about European history in the last like thousand years, you know, that's very difficult. But um, <clears throat> so, uh, you know, I was also attracted to more monastic sounding names. Uh, I also have a deep devotion to St. Cyril and Methodius, the, the apostles of the Slavs. Uh, and uh, so for a long time, I really thought, you know, my name would be Cyril or Cyril Methodius or Methodius, something like that. Uh, but it was m around the time uh, Stanley was beatified. So that was uh, September of uh, 2017. Uh, one of the uh, transitional deacons who uh, was a monk of Marmion, actually, uh, who was studying at St. Meinrad, uh, he offered the Sunday homily uh, that weekend. And he talked about uh, Stanley Rother and how he was being beatified. And I just, uh, you know, saw how uh, Maria Ruiz Gaperlanda's book, uh, The Shepherd Who Did Not Run, uh, it was getting a lot more press because of Stanley's beatification. So I picked it up from our scholar shop and I started reading it. Uh, and it was, it was an excellent book and uh, it really taught me a lot about Stanley. So then like pieces started to fall into place. Uh, my uh, great grandfather on my mother's side. Uh, so my uh, mom's father's father, uh, his name uh, when he came over from what is now Lithuania uh, when he came over to the United States in the early 20th century, uh, his, his given name was Stanislav Marshinkevich, which uh, that is a very Polish name. And, uh, and I, I really like the name Stanislav. Uh, but, you know, I thought, well, maybe that sounds a bit too Polish and I'm not, you know, doing justice to the German side of my family. Well, 
again, it was around this time I started, you know, reading um, Scaparlanda's book. And it's like, oh, wait, Stanley is the anglicized version of Stanislaw. Like, oh, wow, okay, that's neat. And then as I kept reading the book, I, you know, discovered that Stanley Rother himself was from a German-American family. Uh, so uh, it just... It just seemed very um, providential. Uh, and while I, I did not know what my name would be until about four days before my simple profession, uh, and I, I made simple profession on January 20th, 2018. But it was about five weeks earlier that I knew Stanley would be my name. And you're probably wondering, like, well, how did you know? I'll tell you, it was at Vespers on the evening of December 12th, the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. As we were uh, processing in to church for Vespers that evening and we were taking our spots in the choir stalls, I just, I heard a voice that just said to me, your name will be Stanley. And sure enough, when I went to go meet with uh, Archabbot Kurt a few days before my profession, I presented him with my list <clears throat> and uh, it was a list that like all the names I never would have picked a year earlier. Uh, but I, I think that's just great evidence for how, you know, God, you know, will always confound your expectation uh, in a good way, of course. Uh, so my, my first choice was of course, Stanley. Uh, the second choice was Henry. Uh, for Henry of Uppsala, uh, I wanted a, a Scandinavian saint's name. It's a long story. I'm not going to get into that. And then my third <laughs> choice is actually Fulton for Fulton Sheen, uh, because I'm I'm from Illinois originally. And uh, while of course Fulton Sheen was a priest of Peoria, Peoria is just north of the Springfield Diocese. And when I went to college uh, at Quincy University in Quincy, Illinois. Uh, I used to pass through um, El Paso, Illinois, where Fulton Sheen was born. So, uh, so yeah, a lot of a lot of connections with Fulton Sheen and Illinois. But uh, as soon as I got through with the list, uh, Abbot Kurt, you know, sat back in his chair and he said, "Well, what about the name Stanley?" And I said, "I would like that very much, Father Abbot." And he said, "Well, there's one caveat." I'm like, "Oh, what's that?" He's like. Your name will be Stanley Rother, not just Stanley, Stanley Rother. And I'm like, I can live with that. So, um, so yeah, technically, uh, I'm, I'm one of the few monks in the house who has two first names, technically. I mean, not uh, uh, people call me Brother Stanley day to day, but, uh, you know, like stuff like this, podcasts, interviews, writings, I, I always try to write in Stanley Rother Wagner so that, uh, you know, people can see my connection with my holy patron, Blessed Stanley of Okarchi. So tell us a little bit about the story of Blessed Stanley Rother. So you mentioned that book, The Shepherd Doesn't Run, so that kind of captures a little bit, you know, you can kind of already imagine what that means, that he stayed with his people during something, but uh, what's his basic uh, hagiography? So he was uh, 
born in Okarchi, Oklahoma, which is about 35 miles northwest of Oklahoma City, uh, very much a farming community. Uh, he uh, was born into a very Catholic family. Uh, one of the one of the reasons I, I chose Stanley was because he and his family had a profound Marian devotion. They used to pray the rosary together as a family. And I, I thought that was just absolutely beautiful. Uh, it's something that rarely happened in my house growing up. Um, so uh, there was that. Uh, and he was very much uh, prepping to be a farmer. Like that's what he felt called to at first. Uh, and he did his primary and secondary schooling at uh, Holy Trinity uh, Parish and their schools uh, in Okarchi. And it was uh, after high school that he wanted to become a priest. Uh, but he had a lot of problems academically. Uh, and, uh, you know, I appreciate your compliments uh, that you said a few moments ago about me being a voracious reader and, and I'm, uh, you know, completing another degree. And, and yes, all by the grace of God. Uh, but despite the fact that I have so much schooling and education, I'm actually a terrible student. Um, <laughs> it, uh, it goes back to that thing of I don't like being told what to do. Um, and and yes, I am a monk. I see the irony. We can get to that later. But anyway, uh, but Stanley just he just he was not uh, academically inclined uh through uh throughout most of his uh teenage years and adolescence and early adulthood so you know he you know shifted seminaries a lot uh he, you know he had to get you know a uh, private tutoring for for his latin skills so eventually he was ordained to the priesthood um on uh may 25th uh 1963 uh sidebar one of the reasons i also asked for the name Stanley Rother is um, in the post-conciliar liturgical renewal uh, of 1969, St. Bede's feast day was moved to May 25th, and St. Bede is the patron saint of historians. Ah. So, uh, so even though Stanley Rother was ordained uh, using what we now call the extraordinary form, uh, still his anniversary date is now the, the new uh, memorial of St. Bede. So, um, so, uh, so after ordination, you know, he served, uh, in what was then the unified diocese of Oklahoma city, Tulsa. Uh, and, uh, about 1967 or 1968, uh, the diocese of Oklahoma city, Tulsa, uh, began a mission in Guatemala and, uh, Stanley volunteered for that mission. So he spent, um, 1968 until 1981 in Guatemala at uh, Santiago Atitlan. Uh, and during that time, you know, he was uh, very active in, uh, you know, pastoral ministry to the people entrusted to his care. Uh, he was a mentor to several men who were discerning priesthood. Um, and, you know, he very much, uh, you know, embodied the, the social justice uh, teachings of the church, you know, uh, you know, meeting people where they're at, accompanying them, uh, you know, just deliberate, slow evangelization. Uh, and uh, one of the 
things that I remember from uh, Scaparlanda's book was that uh, Stanley had a temper. And uh, I'm, I'm not proud to say this, but I also have a temper. Uh, so uh, there was very much um, a resonance with me in, in all of that. You know, the, the dedication to God's people, uh, the dedication to the gospel and how it's uh, put into practice uh, in social justice issues, um, and just his kind of uh, stubborn German commitment to doing right, uh, which I, again, resonated with me because I have a lot of stubborn Germans in my family. Um, I'm not a stubborn German. I'm a stubborn Pole. There's a big difference. Uh, but uh, uh, so one of uh, probably the, the thing that most attracted me to Stanley was uh, just that dogged determinism to be Christ to his people to the point of death. Uh, you know, the, the Guatemalan government, you know, it was trying to uh, shutter all of the works that he was doing, you know, hospital work, uh, radio communications, uh, because the government felt threatened that this um, American Catholic priest was providing all of these social services and they felt that, uh, you know, that could, you know, be trouble in the future. And Stanley certainly was not the only uh, priest or uh, religious or even lay person who was martyred during this time. Uh, but uh, I, I think because he was beatified, there's a, a lot more uh, attention around him. But he wasn't the only one. Yeah, in Wisconsin, uh, there's this blessed James Miller, who was uh, a Christian brother. He's buried in a Wisconsin cemetery. There's not much pomp about him and where he's buried. He's buried in a little town of like 300 people. But uh, it says on his tombstone, because I visited it, you know, a martyr of Guatemala. And so he, he also was a martyr in Guatemala, I know. Yes, exactly. And... Um... And it wasn't just in Guatemala. I mean, uh, not just globally, but uh, specifically in Central America, you know, in the 70s and 80s, 1970s and 1980s, it was, um, you know, it was a very difficult time, you know, to be preaching the gospel, you know, whoever you were. Um, so on the, uh, uh, the early morning uh, after midnight of... Uh, July 28th, 1981, uh, three gunmen broke into his rectory and um, Stanley tried to fight them off. Uh, there was evidence of bruising on his uh, knuckles. You know, he tried to fight back. Uh, and he was uh, protecting uh, somebody who was staying with him in the rectory that night. Uh, and that's when the, the gunmen uh, shot him. Uh, and and he 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 died in his rectory, uh, and I I I think I probably missed this in Scaparlanda's book, but uh, a friend of ours, uh, uh, Father Abbot Vincent Bataille of Marmion Abbey, who's also the president of the Swiss American 
congregation, of which St. Minard is the mother house, um, he sent me, after my simple profession, uh, this, like, 10-page report that Marmion's former Father Patrick, who's now deceased, God rest his soul, uh, submitted, uh, I forget to whom, uh, but it was uh, Father Patrick who brought Stanley's body back to the United States after uh, his martyrdom. Oh. Uh, so there was that that additional Benedictine connection. Um, I'm also and, aware that Father Albert Brinken, who is a, a Benedictine at Conception Abbey, because when I was a student there, he would go during the summers to Oklahoma City, and he was working on the cause. So there's even another further Benedictine connection, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yes, because I think Stanley did uh, some of his seminary at Conception, uh, if I'm yes. not mistaken. Yes, that's correct. Yep. So, um, so again, it was just one of these... Uh, uh, from my perspective, of course, very providential moments in church history where, um, you know, you have this, you know, novice who's about to take a new name. You have this, uh, you know, priest who was just beatified um, and, uh, you know, just seeing all of these connections uh, making themselves known to me. I mean, it was very much um, a, a gift from God that I was uh that abbot kurt gave me the name stanley rother yeah so that's the life of stanley rother so he dies as a martyr so we often say out of hatred of the faith odium fide and uh, and so now his life is a heroic story that is being retold and really you're the first person in religious life to take his name so there's that but then the Archdiocese of Oklahoma City, who sponsored the cause for beatification, so the one step left uh, to go till canonization, which would be uh, a f another miracle or two that are validated by the Holy See, and then he could become Saint Stanley Rother. But in the meantime, even though he's a blessed, the Archdiocese says, let's build a shrine to Blessed Stanley. And why do they build a shrine, and uh, why would someone go there now? Well, I think uh, one of the things that uh, Catholics, uh, you know, really revel in is uh, beauty. And so, uh, you know, one of the ways that we uh, try to, uh, you know, enflesh that beauty in some sense is building beautiful churches uh, because uh, the the church is uh, the the physical church building uh, is you know a, a deeper sign of our connection to the the church the mystical body of Christ here on earth. So um, I think uh, building a church building that would. Uh, eventually house uh, the earthly remains of Blessed Stanley of Okarchi, uh, is very much an honor, uh, ultimately to God, but it also honors Stanley, and very much the, the people that uh, Stanley ministered to, uh, as well as the people who had an effect on his vocation. 
Uh, and I think it serves as a very beautiful sign, uh, not just for uh, Catholics in Oklahoma, uh, but all people in Oklahoma and all people who uh, make pil pilgrimage to the shrine, that uh, holiness doesn't have to be something that's abstract. It doesn't have to be something that's um, uh, unattainable. It can be something uh, that uh, if we're honest with ourselves and with others and with God, uh, holiness can be something that's uh, uh, attainable. Not easily attainable, but attainable. And my understanding from what I see from the pictures, because I've followed this for a long time, and in fact, through your original dedication was going to be in November, and I had actually bought airfare and a hotel room. I was going to go to it, uh, but then they had to move it, you know, supply chain shortages, I'm sure, uh, other uh factors impacting it so they moved it to february so uh, i just simply was not able to go with my schedule but it's built right along the highway so you can see it so it's it stands as a great testament and um i i received literature about it several years ago and i i wrote a nice check to them and sent it off and sent some other support throughout the years because i'm like they're building something very beautiful uh, to honor the saint. And I've been a part of other projects where maybe something beautiful wasn't built. So I really appreciate the sense of beauty, as you say. And one of the beautiful things I saw on social media, so this was dedicated on Friday, uh, in February, uh, Friday in February. And then on Sunday, they had a, a Spanish mass and all of these Spanish speakers came there because they identify with Stanley Rother. And so I think it's going to be a great place for, for Hispanic devotion, especially and uh, such as well. But I want to maybe just talk a little bit about the dedication. So they consecrated the altar. I've been to one of those. It's kind of like a baptism of the altar. It's very beautiful uh, how the consecration of an altar takes place. But the church is quite large. I believe there's a side chapel and then there's the main church. And the main church kind of has a back rerdos that is very similar to what you would see in a church in Mexico or Guatemala. And I'm curious if you know, is that a replica maybe very similar to the church that he served in Guatemala? Uh, that I don't know. Uh, but... Uh... But you are right. It is a very large church, uh, and the the side chapel uh, that has uh, Blessed Stanley's remains is behind uh, the sanctuary, so behind the Raridos. Um and uh, so his his whole body is in the altar in that back chapel, um, and there are. Uh, of course, there are uh, relics of him in the uh, main altar of the main uh, church as well. And that his whole body is there, except I've read that he left his heart in Guatemala so that he could, or so that he could still be venerated by the people that he served down there. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's a very uh, uh, potent and, and uh, visceral uh, symbol of uh, God's love for us that, uh, you know, the, the heart of this priest 
remained with uh, the people he served. I just, I think that that's just utterly just beautiful. I can't put it into other words. In your monastic life, you have been fostering a devotion to Blessed Stanley Rother because you have selected his name, or his name was selected for you. And I know from following you on social media that you have an icon that was commissioned, that was done of Blessed Stanley Rother. And I'm just curious, what does devotion to a saint look like for you? And, you know, because I think people here, you know, they pray to St. Anthony. Okay, like I lost my keys. Tony, Tony, come around. Something's lost, must be found or whatever, right? So, but how can someone actually have a real genuine devotion to a saint? And, And I guess, how does that look like for you well so when when i hear terms like genuine devotion i think that that varies from person to person but at least from my uh monastic life and my monastic vocation what it looks like to me is um uh you know, a community life is a very beautiful thing, and it's something that I very much need. I need that external accountability. Uh, I need the accountability of my brothers to, you know, uh, you know, spur on my good zeal, uh, or you know, maybe to remind me to dial back my good zeal at times. Um, and uh, sometimes, though, community life can be a bit challenging. Um, and it's uh, certainly been a challenge for me. So when I find myself losing my patience, I'm like, Stanley, please just, just, you know, intercede for me right now. Like, you know, you, you know, you had a, you had a temper. I have a temper, but, you know, please just intercede for me that, you know, God's grace can, you know, calm me down. Uh, so there's there's certainly those uh, moments of actual grace where, um, you know, I, I ask Stanley's intercession for, you know, God's grace in the moment. Um, and, and not obviously just for bad things, you know, like in Thanksgiving as well, you know, um, attending uh, the dedication in Oklahoma City last week uh, was just uh, it was wonderful to be there. Um, uh, and, and to see, you know, just the full display of Catholicity in the church on display, you know, not just, uh, uh, Hispanic Catholics, but also black Catholics, uh, you know, white people, uh, Native Americans. Uh, I mean, just, it was, it was great, you know, just seeing that because, uh, Stanley is, uh, you know, a universal, uh, you know, sign of, uh, you know, the, the church's Catholicity, universality. Uh, so uh, there's that, you know, keeping that in mind. Uh, he's, uh, he belongs to us, but uh, no one of us, uh, or none of us uh, owns him per se, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But uh, I would, I would say like for me, genuine devotion also includes just talking to him, uh, you know, uh, you know, looking at, you know, any image, I have many images of Stanley Rother in my cell, uh, my monastic room, uh, as you can imagine. So sometimes I'll just, you know, 
be at my wits end with writing my master's thesis at the moment or uh you know i've had a long day and it's i'm just emotionally and physically drained and i just i look at this image and i just start talking to him like did you ever have a day like this where you just wanted to you know rip your hair out uh oh there's a difference stanley had a full head of hair i do not uh, <laughs> i was thinking any- that <laughs> yeah so um you know just uh having a conversation with him uh you know, uh, it's very much relationship building. Uh, the the saints are not, uh, they're not deceased. They're not, I mean, they are. Uh, but uh, as a friend of mine, Father John Titus would say, uh, they're more alive now than they ever were. Uh, and I think that's a very good thing to keep in mind with the saints because they are alive. We believe that they're alive. We believe that they're uh, you know, in heaven with God and enjoying that, you know, uh, unhindered view of the Almighty. Uh, and because of that, you know, they're in a special position to pray for us. Therefore, it's it's not just going to, you know, uh, a friend when you need a favor. You know, it's, it's cultivating a relationship and it's, um, you know, allowing that relationship to be organic and, and grow as it should. Uh, in its uh, in its own right, uh, in its own time. Yeah, definitely. And, and I know, you know, of course, right now we could be praying the prayer for the canonization of Stanley Rother. So there's an official prayer for that. We can be seeking his intercession if somebody has some sort of miracle miracle that they need. They can ask for Blessed Stanley to obtain that miracle. That could be a part if it is an instantaneous, long-lasting, and unexplainable miracle. Uh, could help him uh, to become Saint Stanley Rother. And uh, yeah, so wonderful to speak with you today to talk a little bit about him. Uh, I don't think a lot of people know about Stanley Rothard, much like they don't know a lot about some of these other American blesseds and venerables, like Venerable Samuel Mazzucchelli or uh, Venerable Bishop Frederick Baraga and such. So so I love bringing to light uh, the stories of these American heroes who are well on their way to becoming some of the great saints of our church. So thanks so much for sharing that uh, with us today. Yeah, thank you again for having me, Father. I appreciate it. And uh, can so if you're going to recommend someone wants to learn about Stanley Rother, what should they pick up? What should they look for? Is there a good documentary they can watch? Or is it reading that book, The Shepherd Didn't Run? Uh, what, what would your recommendation be? So, um, Maria Ruiz Scaparlange's book, uh, The Shepherd Who uh, Didn't Run, excellent book. Um, Henry Nowen also uh, wrote a book more on his um, uh, reflections of Guatemala, but Stanley plays a, a profound role in, in Nowen's book. And then I recently, while I was uh, at the Shrine Dedication, of course, I had to go to the gift shop. Of course. Uh, so of course. Uh, so there's a book I picked up, and I knew about this book, but I've never actually read it before. It's called The Shepherd Cannot Run, Letters of Blessed Stanley Rother, Missionary and Martyr. Um, and uh, so these are primary source documents from Blessed Stanley. Uh, so uh, I would like to read this one day, hopefully. Uh, Lent starts tomorrow, so we... Um, 
here at St. Meinrad, we, uh, as uh, throughout the Benedictine world, uh, all monks, nuns, and oblates will um, uh, pick a book to read for, for Lent. So that's not the book I'm reading, but uh, hopefully when I get through with my Lenten book, I'll, I'll get to that one. Uh, I would also uh, go on to um, the Shrine's website. Uh, I think it's rothershrine.org, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they have a lot of resources, um, photos from the dedication, photos of the church, uh, but also about Stanley's life and uh, his witness uh, and his martyrdom. Um, the Archdiocese of Oklahoma City also has a website uh, they're uh, running for uh, Stanley's uh, uh, canonization cause. Uh, so uh, uh, I think that there's also uh, a link on there that you can sign up for updates about the canonization process or, or getting involved in it. Um, and, uh, you know, if uh, if I may be so bold, you know, people can certainly reach out to me if they have questions about Stanley. Uh, I I love talking about him, um, and um, and just uh, you know the the priest that he was and the the blessed he is now and uh, the the path that he took. So um, so those are just some things that come to mind. Well, those are all wonderful resources, and if people are very interested in his life, uh, can check them out. So thanks so much again, uh, Brother Stanley Rother Wagner, for joining me today. Thank you again, Father.